I will focus mainly on foreign policy uh, because I'm a bit tired of talking about domestic politics alone. Mm -hmm. I have been talking about it for so long, uh, for so often, and then also uh, the issue of the Thai monarchy, which, frankly speaking, I run out thing to say. You know, I know there's a lot of controversial things to say, but yet I think I have, you know, spoken on almost all aspects of the monarchy. So, I mean, today uh, I will switch uh, my attention to Thailand foreign policy, which I think there's a lot of uh, interesting story looking back uh, from uh, the coup 2014, because what will happen, you know, inside Thailand domest domestically, it has caused a huge impact on Thailand foreign policy too. Uh, and so what I'm trying to say is that understand, understanding Thai Thailand's domestic politics would also allow us to understand Thailand foreign policy. And likewise, you know, looking from outside at the Thailand for foreign policy, it would allow us to also understand better what really going on inside Thailand. Okay. Right, within the period of okay, next one. Within the period of uh, eight years, you know, we Thailand had uh, to military coup, you know, from 2006 and 2014. We know that uh, 2006, the coup overthrew Thaksin Shinawat, 2014, uh, overthrowing uh, his sister, Ying Lak. Uh, looking back, though, that decade, eight years, maybe even more than that, because, you know, the, the, the movement uh, with uh, the, uh, a mission to overthrow Thaksin, in, in fact, starting since 2005. So we are talking about nine, ten years. Let's say that that whole decade, I would say that it's significantly marked by relentless political turmoil, you know, which, uh, again, I think came to redefine Thailand's political landscape. And indeed, not just come to define Thailand's political landscape, but also define the state of foreign relations toward its uh, neighboring country and also superpower super from afar. Okay? The coup in 2014, which is the focus of this talk, represented a watershed uh, in Thailand uh, political history. And I say that because I believe that uh, the coup was initiated to manage the imminent royal succession. So uh, for me, it is, it is undoubted, uh, undoubted that uh, this is what made the coup 2014 very different from 2006. 2006 was about to eliminate the toxin elements, but 2014 not just to eliminate the toxin, ele uh, toxin elements, but also in order to foresee or to manage royal succession. They knew that the king would not live that long now by 2014, and it was true, right? The king passed away in 2016. Again, they, they fear that had them had they allowed civilian government to take control of the royal succession, then that could change, you know, the direction or the, the trajectory of the royal succession back then. Uh, so there they were anxious about royal succession. This is because King Puipon, you know, had led a long and authoritative reign, you know, being uh, on the throne since 1946, you know, up until uh, 2016. Uh, his departure definitely with a powerful man like King Pumipon will surely leave, you know, a, a giant gap in, you know, Thailand's domestic politics to be filled with uncertainties and also anxiety. The military in particular was so anxious about, you know, uh, what remained of the influence of the Chinawat family that could rise to dominate the post-Pumipon period, uh, which now under uh, the uh, the influence, or maybe to say under the reign, to say it broadly, of King Wachilalongkorn, who is son of 
King Pumi Pong. With this anxiety, the military, I believe, you know, stage a coup that was popularized by Bangkok resident, Bangkok middle and upper class. The two events here, right, the coup of 2014 plus the royal succession, kind of exposed the vol volatility of uh, the Thai political system and in many ways the domain of foreign affairs. Now, talking about Thailand foreign affairs, okay. Thailand foreign policy is traditionally shaped by the changing international circumstances as seen, you know, for example, throughout the colonial period and up until, you know, the, the, the Cold War period, right? Uh, what will happen during, uh, during the colonial period? You know, Thailand was caught between the British, you know, and the French, and we tried to use one power against the other. And also, you know, with the Cold War and the communist threat, Thailand again caught in, in between, uh, only to lean over to the United States to become a sort of provider of security for Thailand. Uh, now, this tactic, you know, uh, has been proudly, proudly claimed by Thai diplomats that it is a sort of bamboo diplomacy. So they like to use this term, bamboo diplomacy. Why is bamboo? Because, you know, uh, it could be firmly rooted, but at the same time, it could kind of bend with the prevailing winds, you know, no matter, no matter which way the wind will blow, you know, we would go toward you know, that direction of the wind. In other words, you know, we are practicing, we have been practicing too fast diplomacy, you know, uh, should, op should there be any opportunity that we could side with the winner, then we should do so. And I must say that we done it quite well, you know, con considering that we uh, worked so closely with the Japanese, you know, during the Second World War, but eventually, you know, we got away with being punished, you know, when Japan lost the war and also Germany, you know, and that also thanks to the United States too. But I'm not talking about that part now. Today, okay, the coup of 2014 has exacerbated the political conflict and powerfully prescribed the way in which the country pursues its relation with the outside world. Now, for my talk today, I would argue that once again, changing international circumstances, just like what you have seen during the colonial period and also the Cold War, this time in 2014, the changing international circumstances have allowed, this time, the military government, you know, to entrench itself you know, in, the, in the political domain and also to exploit the, less, the latest global trend in order to achieve self-legitimization. So whatever happened out there, the military government trying to exploit those, those events those even, in order to legitimize themselves, that you know, we are legitimate ruler of Thailand. Okay. In this new trend, what would happen later on? I would explain very briefly of each each of these trends. Okay, for example, China uh, has emerged through this global trend okay, as uh, a new superpower, you know, and uh, uh, to shift the regional balance of power and to contest the hegemony of the United States. Now with President Donald Trump uh, at a wobbly ham. Okay. Elsewhere, democracy and regional, regionalism is being seriously challenged, as in, in Europe and also in Asia too. Now, riding on such trend, okay, the time the time government is kind of steering the country closer and closer toward what I would call not so democratic states in the region. This kind of allow Thailand to break with its tradition of aligning itself so closely with the Western world, like the United States, 
and also Europe to a certain extent. But what will happen when once again out there allow us to lean over to this not so democratic state? Uh, and as I said, while moving its foreign policy away from its traditional allies in the West, the British government is taking advantage from the growing anti-democratic tendency as a way to fulfill its legitimacy uh, on the global stage. Next slide, please. Okay. Now talking about the, 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 the international trend, I will go very, very, very briefly. And in fact, uh, I might not do justice to all of this trend. Some of the things I am not expert to really fully explain. Okay, so please forgive me for that. Now let's talk about the trend toward democracy and uh, uh, the, the trend, what happened uh, in, in the world. In particular, the trend toward democracy and regionalism, I believe, is less promising. Okay, for example, in June 2006, in a UK referendum, 52% voted to leave the EU. Okay, that, that phenomenon is now known as Brexit. Okay. While Brexit would not possibly mark the end of regionalism, the British uh, decision was surely a negative blow uh, to regional cooperation. And please understand that Thailand very much relies on regional cooperation in Southeast Asia, you know, with ASEAN standing right there, has been with Thailand for, you know, since 1967. Somehow many people still criticize ASEAN, but yet at the same time, we continue to exploit ASEAN for so many political benefits at home and also uh, in the region too. Uh, as a supranationality is perceived as an erosion of sovereignty, uh, there is a tendency in which states would uh, resurrect their nationalistic, you know, feeling or fervor, you know, against the tie of regionalism and globalization. Moving away from UK, what happened in the United States with Trump? Right now, he's uh, on Asian tour. You know, I'm not sure whether you you know what happened in Japan and also today uh, in China. I think uh, the the Donald Trump uh, phenomenon has led to an increasingly divisive America. Okay, his policies seem to promote racism and also protectionism, uh, while highlighting American superiority. Under the slogan "Make America Great Again," which seem which uh, seem to contest the current world order based on multipolarity. Uh, and shared responsibility. Okay. In Asia, ASEAN, the Association for Southeast Asian Nations, okay, as said, established in 1967, you know, has been hindered by its orthodox uh, principle of non-interference. Uh, anyone who study on ASEAN would know that there's some kind of golden rules in ASEAN that you know you must not criticize your neighbors, that you must uh, refrain from you know uh, interfering. Uh, into other, other country uh, domestic politics is still remain a golden rule in, in ASEAN. So the ASEAN Intergovernmental Commission on Human Rights, AICHR, you know, was the case in point. It was in, inaugurated in 2009. In fact, as a result of the, uh, the establishment of ASEAN Charter in 2008, there's something, something quite strange about ASEAN, you know, as I said, set up in, two, uh, in 1967. ASEAN had functioned those, uh, throughout those years without a constitution. Imagine a country, you know, <laughs> running uh, by itself you know, without any constitution. That would be absurd. But that really happened with ASEAN not until 2007 that they started to draft the ASEAN Charter, you know, being, in, 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 uh, being 
effective in 2008. And a year later, in order to prove to the international community that ASEAN is interested in the issue like democracy and human rights, in 2009 they set up this human rights commission. And we are so wrong to think that you know they would really address the issue of human rights and democracy. Ironically, you know it has failed you know, to tackle human rights uh, issue in Southeast Asia, uh, as expected. Okay, because it once again go against the the rule of non-interference. Uh, the the Human Rights Commission in particular refused to condemn uh, the Thai coup of two thousand and fourteen. No one ever, ever mentioned, you know, including my case of academic, you know, under attack by the the junta. Not even a single statement coming off from ASEAN in order to protect, you know, not just academic, you know, I don't want to put my case at the center of the universe, but don't forget that there's a lot of political activists, politicians who have become, you know, victims of the state. None of them, you know, has been, uh, how to say, referred to or mentioned by uh, the Human Rights Commission of ASEAN. Okay, the advent of a president, Duterte of the Philippines. Oh my God, giving another headache, right? <laughs> May obvious the problem of the Philippine democracy. My God, looking around in ASEAN, do we have hope? Maybe not. <laughs> Closer to Thailand. Now, <laughs> the famed democratic icon, okay, Aung San Suu Kyi. You have like Aung San Suu Kyi program here or a foundation, something that map a part of? It, it has been in flux. Okay, it's, it should be dismantled. <laughs> I'm sorry. If Matt has nowhere to go, then Matt can come and live with me in Kyoto. <laughs> Aung San Suu Kyi, yes. Now, Myanmar Foreign Minister and the leader of the NLD you know, has been much criticized for uh, neglecting uh, the issue like the Rohingya, as we know, uh, critical political and social issues, right, in order to maintain what I believe a working relationship between her and the Tatmadaw and, and the Myanmar uh, military. Uh, in the meantime, Myanmar army, you know, has extended firm support to the Thai Junta. Now, this is a scary move made by uh, Myanmar. Tides or relationship that has been formed to counter democratic movement in the region. So uh, it is apparent that uh, the international trend toward illiberalism served to legitimize the regime in Bangkok and its evolving relationship with some ASEAN partner. Before I go into talking about Thailand relations with ASEAN partner, let me focus a little bit on Thai-US relations. So the next slide, please. Okay. Erratic, 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 right? Uh, before talking about erratic relationship, uh, I need to make this statement, okay? Talking about the, the most important partner of Thailand, it will always be the United States, no matter what happened, right? United States is the most important uh, partner of Thailand, simply because... Uh, we have had military treaty together, and not to mention that Thailand is the oldest ally of the United States in the whole of the, the, the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, on top of that, we have uh, something called Cobrago, which is the largest uh, military exercise, joint military exercise, uh, in fact, in the whole, once again, in the whole of, of the, of the Asia-Pacific. So I think because of that, we would never be able to walk away from the United States for, this, for such important. But what really happened after the coup? It could be a little bit confusing. Okay, I'll try to simplify it. After the coup, Thailand was, uh, of course, punished by Western government 
you know, with a series of sanction measures, uh, particularly the U.S. and the United, uh, sorry, and the European Union. No, clearly, when the West decided to punish Thailand, you could say it that the West was adopting what I believe to be an interventionist approach in dealing, in dealing with the Thai crisis. Now, this approach would be quite different from the approach taken by China, which I'll be talking a little bit later. Now, let's focus on this, the so-called interventionist uh, approach, basically, to intervene in what you know, happened in Thailand in order to try to change the behavior of the Thai junta to be a little bit more democratic. That's what they're supposed to do, right? The U.S. in particular, you know, hope to intervene in, uh, in Thailand, uh, supposedly, you know, in order to bring back democracy. This is what the U.S. has, has projected itself, you know, on the global stage. So in early 2000, I mean, even, even before 2014, the intervention had started, you know, with 2005, uh, Daniel Russell back then was an assistant secretary of state, you know, paid visit to Thailand, try to play a role as a mediator between the uh, the uh, the yellow shirt and the red shirt you know and that would really upset both both sides of the political divides it upset both sides of, of the political divide because you know the, the the yellow shirt and royalists the establishment uh, did perceive the US to be disloyal partner because this is based on what they believe that you know the U.S. and the military and the monarchy worked so well together during the Cold War. Then why suddenly you want to negotiate, to help us negotiate with the, with the rancher? So for this, I think it caused a lot of suspicion, you know, on the part of the establishment. For the rancher to, you know, I mean, there's a, a kind of distrust among the rancher to not knowing that what the U.S. really want, whether, you know, to, to try to convince the rancher in order to understand uh, the position of, of the yellow shirt or not. So basically, I don't think the U.S. win on both sides. I think it's, it's a loose, loose, loose situation for the U.S. Uh, so, I mean, the, that trip, you know, of Daniel Russell turned controversial uh, later on too, you know, even when, uh, you know, he, I, think he, I think he also came back a, f a few times, you know, in order to try to play such role. Uh, the... And you would not believe that the, the royalists, uh, how they responded to the, in, to, the, to the perceived intervention of the United States. The hardcore royalists stormed the Facebook page of the, of the U.S. Embassy in Bangkok you know, to the point of it almost uh, crashed you know, the whole system, internet system in Thailand. <laughs> and not only that, you know, they also went to, uh, uh, to flood you know, a personal Facebook page of President Obama you know, typing the same uh, statement in Thai, Thailand is an independent country, not a colony of the United States. Thailand is a Repeatedly, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands. You know, you, please do not underestimate, you know, the effort of the hyper-royalists in Thailand. So, uh, but then, you know, uh, then I think later, later, later on toward the end of Obama administration, I think this is a part of the, the Obama administration try to return to Asia, right? With uh, Hillary Clinton said in uh, Hawaii that look, you know, the U.S. at the end of the day, we are a Pacific nation, a Pacific power, to in order to claim, you know, legitimacy in involving, you know, in uh, an Asian affair. So 
I think I think from that moment onward, we we could see a little bit more effort of the U.S. in trying to reach out to the red shirt for the first time. For example, you know, I follow the activity of the Thai, you know, of the U.S. Embassy in Bangkok in going out and about in the north and the northeast, you know, talking to a number of red shirt uh, leaders in those, you know, far flung uh, provinces. Maybe started to realize that it might not be it might not be strategic. To put all the eggs in one basket for the U.S. and that means the same old basket since the Cold War. Maybe it might be time for the U.S. to diversify its foreign policies options in dealing with the Thai crisis. That perhaps could be uh, the view of the Obama administration toward the end. So, uh, so in other words, the U.S. I think uh, try to broaden its policy option and reach out more, uh, and this make them look good to a certain extent. You know, as part of you know showing the world of its obligation to promote democracy, but sadly it just ended like that, with with the end of the term of Obama. Now we are moving into the Trump period, which is still very much uncertain. God knows what's going to happen. You know, <laughs> we really don't know what going to happen to the, not just the the U.S. policy toward Thailand. We don't even know what's going to happen to Trump himself. You know, how long he could stay in power, but. Okay, let's focus now that uh, Trump uh, is now, you know, in the White House. The U.S. seem to have, uh, up to this point, toned down its previously, uh, how to say, not antagonistic, but let's say suspicious toward the establishment, and I mean, try to understand more, as I said, the Richard. But I think, I mean, they, they, the, the Trump administration has tried to, to tone it down. Definitely, Trump made a phone call to Prayut in order to you know persuade Thailand in order to support the U.S. international agendas, especially you know uh, the, the the issue of North Korea, for example, that really the U.S. need strong support from Thailand. Uh, this also involved with the Cobraco, with the military you know cooperation in the region, and the other issue would be also South China Sea, which the U.S. claim that it has you know direct interest in the free passage you know in this you know water. Thailand might not be one of the claimants, but Thailand is also a key player in ASEAN. And don't forget that there are four countries in ASEAN which are claimants to the disputed islands in the, in the South China Sea. So Thailand voice can also mean can also be meaningful for United States. Okay, uh, then uh, not to mention that eventually uh, Trump did pay visit to Washington a month ago. Right. Uh, I mean, this would this this event was celebrated over and over and over in Bangkok, because this had to prove that you know even the the, the 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 most powerful nation on earth you know eventually gave the Thai regime legitimacy by rolling red carpet. Even though Payut was not standing on the red carpet, <laughs> if you remember that photo, right? Uh, but but it means a lot to regime like Payut. You know, to get uh, endorsement, to get legitimized by the United States, and you know, uh, in uh, in in exchange for a lot of arm arm deals that the U.S. you know managed to get it from Thailand, right? And then I could not remember, but but then the the, the talk on uh, economic or business opportunity it just went so bizarre that. Thailand agreed to import turkey since when Thailand eat turkey <laughs> for God's sake we have Christmas in Thailand 
Well, anyway, that goes to show. I mean, how strange it would go. But it definitely, you know, uh, for the for the Thai regime, what the Thai regime desperately need was the in- endorsement from the United States and the, and the junta got it. So I, I I will finish this part here with the United States. Uh, basically, say that I really don't know which direction we will take when it comes to our relationship with the United States. It depends very much on our relationship with China, and this has become a standard now. In, for the international politics in, in 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 Asia, North and South, Northeast and Southeast Asia, everything depends so much on the move made by China. The the reason I say that because also if you look at the, the Japanese foreign policy toward Thailand, that is also depend on how much China has become assertive when it comes to its engagement with Southeast Asia and Thailand in particular. Japan has to become reactive to to the Chinese move. But we talk about that later. Okay, next. Now away from the away from the United States, we will look at uh, what I call an e-liberal alliance. And for this talk, I will pick uh, three countries: China, uh, Myanmar, and Cambodia. Okay. Uh, the we'll start with China first. Okay, for the interest of time, I will not give you much of the introduction for other things. Uh, obviously. Uh, this China, you know, fast becoming Thailand's new best best friend. The Thai junta has found some comfort, you know, in the overly friendly relationship with China. You know, for example, shortly after the coup, uh, General Prayut, Thai Prime Minister, was seen shaking hand with a number of Chinese business owners, demonstrating the Thai tactic, if you want to call it, the bamboo diplomacy, right? In order to, you know, bend toward China, employing China in order to offset you know, Western sanctions. So you can you can you know, impose sanctions against us, but we care little because now we can trade with China instead. Something like that. Okay. Uh, uh, while the U.S. you know has undertaken an interventionist policy, China has long upheld uh, the uh, the non-interference standpoint. You know, in its foreign policy, and it, it demonstrated that it cares so little, you know, the about the, the increasingly authoritative or authoritarian nature of you know Thai politics. In other words, leaders in Beijing, you know, uh, concentrate on making money, not making enemies. So whatever happened inside Thailand, you know, they could not care less, as long as Thailand would not also interfere in what is going on inside you know the, the domestic politics of China to which obviously Thailand is not interested at all. Uh, so the Chinese leadership uh, uh, is content you know to stay neutral uh, in Thailand polarized politics. In other words, I would call it this is a pragmatic approach. Now this is if if the US upholding interventionist approach, now this would go up against China's pragmatic approach. When I say that Chinese, uh, the Chinese stay neutral in Thailand, I don't know whether neutral is the right term here. How could you explain this when uh, they, the Chinese, the Chinese leader, they are happy to work with the junta, but at the same time, never deny the influence of Thaksin. For example, okay, now just about they talk a lot of, about bis- uh, on business opportunity with the Thai junta, including the high speed train project okay at the same time that china also opened its country for 
ทักษิณทุกคำ in and out all the time ทักษิณ would you know go to Hong Kong you know to have dim sum for lunch and then to use Thailand as a launching launching pad against the Thai junta sometimes so the Chinese also allow ทักษิณ to do so so I mean uh, you could call it neutral or you you could call it pragmatic you know instead of having to choose one like United States China work with everyone uh, the uh, this pragmatic diplomacy allow China right uh, throughout the recent recent Thai crisis you know stole yet another march from the U.S. approach you know as the two countries China and United States uh, became locked in a subtle but intensifying competition you know for increased influence in Thailand and also in the region but you definitely was willing to expose you know his newfound relationship with China. Uh, Chinese businessman, businessman at the same time keen to work with the military government in Thailand. News reporting, you know, China enthusiastic to invest in a uh, 15 billion US dollars high-speed train project made headlines in Bangkok and summarized uh, the warm Sino-Thai relationship. The previous government would also be prepared to use the uh, controversial Article 44 in order to speed up the rail construction and override public criticism you know just when we talk about the obstacle the legal obstacle in thailand you know, but you would say that yeah with article 44 the, the the chinese could come and the chinese would enjoy extra territorial you know right while they are you know conducting this project oh my god so uh, thailand deepening economic you know relations with china came at a time of acute political coalition and instability for the country and difficult relationship with the West. So in other words, China has come at the right time. The clash between the two approaches, you know, signify uh, a compelling rivalry between the US and China. Uh, China non-interference approach has proven to be very effective in cementing ties with some ASEAN country, not just Thailand also. China has been using this same tactic in its relationship, say, with Cambodia, with also Myanmar and Laos. Uh, and definitely for Thailand, this approach has been met with a favorable response from the Thai elite who have insisted on handling their own internal problem without outside interference. China tactic has been very cautious and very diplomatic. Okay, uh, just to give you a short background, the two countries established relationship you know, in diplomatic relationship in 1975, you know, at the at the peak of the uh, the Vietnam War, when the U.S. also has to withdraw from uh, this region, throughout the latter half of the of the of the Cold War, after 1975 until the end of the Cold War, the two countries form a loose military alliance, okay, against the advancement of Vietnamese communists in Indochina. After the end of the Cold War, bilateral relations remain healthy. Thanks to many, many factors, one of them is the absence of territorial dispute because Thailand and China, we do not share common borders. So if you look around and then what, whichever country that China has shared border with, usually, you know, they would come across with a kind of territorial dispute uh, uh, between China and those countries. So apart from the absence of this uh, territorial dispute between Thailand and China, we also have to focus on uh, uh, the firm ties between Chinese leadership and the Thai royal family. Now, this is one of the key points too that you know the popular princess, Princess Serinton, uh, has reportedly you know uh, visited every single province 
in China, the only Thai royalty to be able to do so. Not only that, she can also demonstrate, you know, her proficiency in writing, you know, Chinese calligraphy, right, and also to in speaking Mandarin, this and that. That has become so much impressed, you know, by not just the Chinese leadership but also by the Chinese public too. To have a Thai royalty you know, to be able to communicate, you know, in in Chinese, and also uh, the 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 main the, the firm ties between. Uh, the, the armies of the two countries to the, the Thai and also the Chinese army and the uh, the well-integrated uh, Chinese community in Thailand. This, the Thai case is definitely uh, different from any other case in Southeast Asia. In particular, you know, in the case of Indonesia, you know, that you know, there's uh, every now and then still a kind of conflict between Chinese community and uh, local community, but not in the case of Thailand. Uh, later on, I would explain a little bit about, you know, this Thai Chinese community, a lot of them have climbed up, you know, political ladder to become prime minister. Looking back, you know, prime minister, Thai prime minister, let's say in the past 20, 30 years, over half of them, they are half Thai Chinese. Okay, if not all pure Chinese, you know, like Banham, something like that. So, uh, since 2012, you know, China has taken over Japan, becoming Thailand's largest trading partner, you know. And there's still a lot of you know fertile details here that Thailand uh, became the, the first country in ASEAN that has signed an FTA agreement with China in 2002. So this is something quite significant that China really you know uh, pay attention to the Thai economy and using Thailand as a gateway in Southeast Asia in order to move into other country in the region. Uh, a recent survey also showed that the past decade has seen up to 400,000 Chinese national taking up taking up residence in Thailand. The number of Chinese tourists visiting Thailand also very high. In 2006, okay, that 10 years ago uh, is 8.87 million, making an increase of 11.8% from the previous year. Obviously, uh, the, the year would, would have been multiplied, uh, the, the number would have been multiplied by now. So uh, not to mention that, you know, the, the, the Chinese economy has, you know, uh, has become uh, a kind of boom, right, that would allow, you know, nouveau rich in China to be able to travel the world uh, much more today. And uh, Thailand uh, has subsequently constructed, you know, an alliance with China in a similar way it has done with the United States. I did mention the Cobra Go with the United States, right? The Cobra Go now lends its form, you know, to and purpose to Thailand, uh, military links with China. Uh, for example, in mid-2016, uh, only last year, the two countries held their uh, naval, na na naval exercises in the Gulf of Thailand, following the first joint activities between the, air, the two countries' air forces you know, the previous year, in 2015. That already after the coup, so which means that activity between the two countries' army you know, uh, on, was, was ongoing even during the post-2014 coup period. Okay. Uh, since the early 1980s, Thailand has purchased armaments and military-related equipment under this partnership uh, at, in bracket, friendship prices. You know, uh, friendship prices. Yes, in my uh, few work, you know, many years ago, talking to you know top general in Thailand, they did talk about Chinese uh, armaments, military hardware. They complained so much, though, at the same time that my God, what we bought, you know, from China, these, these were all really crap very crappy, you really cannot use them, you know, it's terrible. But yet, some, a lot of it, you know, were very cheap and then even, you know, were offered to Thailand free, 
you know it would be so rude not to take you know the freebies from the Chinese even though once again it's crap <laughs> they said it this is not from my word <laughs> Sino Thai military links you know, are among some of the most developed in the Southeast Asian region you know second only to Myanmar between China and Myanmar okay uh, which which was once you know a quasi allies of China Thailand is intentionally balancing its military and financial dependence on the US by you know cultivating better relationship with China the Thai junta has also displayed its unfailing attempt to reach out to the Chinese leadership through their military cooperation early in 2017 only this year the, the Prayut government signed a 390 million US dollar deal to purchase a submarine from China so now we are buying submarine from the Chinese government the payment would be made you know in installments over the next seven years Thailand has also ordered 28 VT4 tanks and 34 VN1 armor personnel carrier from China so they're talking about a lot of arm deals so earlier with the Trump but then the, when it comes to the scale of it I think with China now is more and more okay so quietly uh, in some Thailand is you know sliding into China's warm and embracing arms you know most Thai cabinet minister and powerful business businesses in Thailand have significant investment in China for example Thailand's one of the largest companies Jalen Pokapan or CP now you can even see you can even find CP product in Sainsbury and in Tesco today so it has come you know to the UK so CP uh, has been one of Southeast Asia largest company has been doing business in China since 1949 not to mention that the CEO of CP basically came from China and become Thai so with all this you know link ethnic link with the Chinese leadership allow you know guarantee you know direct investment into that country activities between the Thai and Chinese business conglomerates you know are regularly conducted with exchange of visits and sharing business information Thailand has also welcomed China's soft power you know with arms wide open this is something that the Chinese also uh, the, Ch the Chinese do it much better than the American for example more Thai students are now keen to learn Mandarin prompting China to dispatch a large number of language teacher to Thailand we never have enough of you know a teacher who, who could come and then help with the Mandarin you know classes in Thailand there's a lot of MOU between Thailand's Ministry of Education and China Ministry of Education in order to send you know all these uh, uh, teacher from the mainland okay next is uh, what about some other ASEAN country I'll go very quickly maybe I could finish in 10 minutes okay uh, uh, Shortly after the coup, you know, July, just a little bit over a month, you know, after the coup, uh, we have one of the first delegates, you know, coming to Thailand from Myanmar, and that person was Myanmar's Supreme Commander, Senior General Min Ong Lane. Okay, he paid a visit to uh, Bangkok, making him one of the first leaders from ASEAN in order to meet with the Thai junta after the coup. So this must be quite significant, you know, whoever come, you know, came to Thailand the first, you know, after the coup. It usually meant something politically, right? He held a discussion with Prayut, Thai Prime Minister, supposedly to strengthen ties between Thailand and Myanmar. Disturbing leader, you know, Min Ong Lane, suddenly, you know, extolled, uh, oppressed, you know, the Thai junta for, in bracket, doing the right thing, meaning the fact that you staged a coup was the right thing to do. That was the Myanmar uh, uh, 
Supreme Commander told the Thai Prime Minister uh, in basically seizing power by comparing his country experience you know, during the political turmoil uh, that took place in Yangon in uh, 1988, the 8888, you know, uh, even when uh, the Tatmadaw uh, also launched deadly crackdown against pro-democracy activists. So, I mean, they used this same incident that, you know, had the Thai ministry not, you know, uh, intervene, in order to stop further bloodshed, then it's the situation could have been worse. So, uh, but then uh, the Min Ong Lan relationship with Thailand, I, I later realized that it's more than skin deep, okay? It's more than skin deep because this Min Ong Lan, who's a Myanmar Supreme Commander, is the adopted son of the Thai military supremo, Prem Tinsulandon. Okay, I'm sure that not a lot of you know about it. So I mean, to dig it up, that is my job. I like to dig it up. Okay, so Prem Tinsulandon, you must know if you follow Thai politics, he was he was serving as prime minister from 1980 to 1988. After he stepped down, then he was promoted to become the president of the Privy Council, the position that he is still holding even though, you know, which less and less significant today with the new king being uh, in place, okay? But, but then in 2012, you know, Ong Lan, uh, who came to Thailand and then happened to meet with Prem Tisulanon, uh, the former Prime Minister Amishib and blah, 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 uh, and asked, you know, since Prem, you have no son of your own, would you mind adopt me as your son? So Prem looked at him and smiled like that. <laughs> Honey, yes, of course. This is my own term, sorry. <laughs> Just to make it a bit more colorful. <laughs> but what is the truth is, yes, Prem adopted Min, Min Ong Lin as his own son. So Min Ong Lin is a rising star in the army. So that's why it is very important, you know, had, uh, has, has the military in Myanmar continued to remain politically influential then we should look closely at the future of Min Ong Lin. And we know that this relationship between Min Ong Lin and the Thai junta you know, has been very deep. In Myanmar's own you know, politics, we know that you know, many people have been too quick to celebrate the opening up process when, uh, you know, when the, the military still take control 25% of the parliamentary seat. We, I will not talk about that anymore. So, uh, so in many ways, whatever happened between the two countries, including you know the way that Myanmar has organized its own uh, you know had, had, had been proceeded with its own political reform seemed to lend also its forms to Thailand. I think at this point in time the time the time 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 history could claim that look at what happened in Myanmar look at the role the, the prominent role of the of the Burmese army in the reform process the time history can do the same thing if you could allow us to do so don't forget that you know military has been a main uh, institution in Thailand, just like the Burmese uh, army serving as the key institution in that country too. And you know by linking up with, 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 with Burma, when Burma is now under the world spotlight about ongoing reform, again Thailand perhaps could claim that we could more or less have the same kind of reform, which might not be the good thing for Thailand. Right, okay, moving away from, from, from Myanmar, the la lastly, the new member, Cambodia. Uh, almost the same month as well, you know, uh, in, in fact, it's the same month, in July 2014, after the coup, uh, Cambodia Deputy Prime Minister and Defense Minister, um, and Defense Minister General Tiaban, who is also half Khmer, 
half Thai so he already has a very good relationship with Thailand he visited Bangkok and expressed his confidence in the in the leadership of the Thai ministry in bringing peace and order to Thailand so the visit you know, to Thailand by a top Cambodian delegate was politically meaningful in many ways uh, for example in 2013 election you know Cambodia's ruling party uh, the Cambodian People's Party belonged to Hun Sen you know won only 68 out of 123 seats in the National Assembly this election marked the largest seat loss by Prime Minister Hun Sen parties you know today and its lowest share of seats since 1998 so in 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 his mind Hun Sen must have been a bit worried about you know his own you know future career uh, not to mention that uh, Hun Sen up to this day has remained the wrong longest reigning elected leader of Southeast Asia being in this position more than 30 years if you do not include Sultan uh, of Brunei but of course that absolute monarchy you know we're not talking about elected government here but in this context Hun Sen has been here too long far too long and he still keep you know uh, how to say finding a way in order to to maintain that and I think uh, because of because of this uncertainty that would come with the next election I think Hun Sen saw the importance to improve relationship with Thailand by having you know peaceful border between the two countries right when you have peaceful border it means peaceful border trade it means that everything just you know go normally so this would kind of bring back uh, also a kind of legitimacy in his own mind and not to also mention that the two countries has engaged in you know decade-long dispute over the Pierre temple and right now you know people seem not to talk about it that you know everyone kind of keeps smiling that uh, all this problem now has has been resolved but in fact it's not it just has been you know put on hold uh, but but all these all these visits you know eventually paved the way for Hun Sen eventually coming to Thailand uh, in December 2015 now this was such a big thing for Thailand because everyone in Thailand know that Hun Sen was not really fond of the military especially you know the Democrat Party you know because at the height of the previous conflict the, the military worked so closely with the Democrat government in trying to discredit the Hun Sen government in Phnom Penh so uh, but the situation kind of forced you know Cambodia to make to make peace with the Thai ministry you know you would see Hun Sen going to Thailand shaking hand and then earlier this year in fact not long ago uh, uh, Prayut was in Phnom Penh seeing the two men hugging each other uh, what were their talking points okay talking points of course would include stability over the border not mentioning about the previous year conflict. More, import more importantly, I believe that the Thai delegate must address this issue of making sure that the red shirt runaway, exile, a lot of them are now living in Cambodia, will not cause too much noises, too, too much problem for the Thai government. I'm sure that you know they could not say that you must kick, kick these people out of the country because that cannot happen because I don't think they're stupid enough to um, not to see that Hun Sen also want to use this red shirt refugee as bargaining chips against the Thai government, you know, when leadership, leadership could become strained in the future. So I think basically, uh, to put it sim simpler, okay, we know that there's a lot of red shirt in your country, just make sure that they can keep quiet. And I think Hun Sen, Hun Sen would have said, yes, as long as, you know, you also do not cause any conflict along the border. So, uh, in summary, 
uh, you know, gradually you would see you would see that the political interest between Thailand, Myanmar, Cambodia you know, appear to have converged, okay, with the backing of China. You know, the three states in, in mainland Southeast Asia have increasingly emerged. I see it as a large dark hole you know, that could potentially threaten democracy uh, in the region. But the, the, the collaboration among uh, these states you know, had hardly been unique to Southeast Asia. It had become a part of a larger trend called global trend, which I mentioned uh, at the beginning, in which democracy is uh, seemed to be going into reverse. You know, the democratic decline is no longer concentrated in Southeast Asia or one continent, but today you know, it has far you know, wider array you know, of nations from far more, from more regions of the globe and is unlikely to be stopped. Uh, many countries that are regressing from democracy are, you know, uh, regional powers like Thailand and the Philippines, you know, with authoritarian state like China, viewing more power uh, with established democracies in the West and the developing world reluctant to stand up for their value or pursuing democracy promotion strategy that uh, too often focus on rhetoric, elections and process. The international environment has become far more complicated and challenging for democracy in the new millennium. So, uh, finally, uh, pragmatism you know, has remained an uh, essential trademark of Thailand foreign policy, right? Bamboo policy. Uh, the way in which Thailand policy is formulated has been closely related to the state of uh, domestic politics of Thailand. The coup of 2014 you know, has, to a great extent, compelled Thailand to readjust its foreign policy in order to strengthen you know, the military regime at home. And in this process, I already uh, explained, you know, how uh, the time uh, the time she has taken advantage from, you know, what will happen in the outside world, also in the region, getting closer to China, you know, uh, forging ties with, you know, former enemies in the region, you know, not to mention that Myanmar uh, has always been perceived as number one enemy for Thailand for so long in the history, but they seem to, you know, kiss and make up today for the sake of the stability of the military regime at home. And I think also for, uh, the, the, for the benefit, for the own benefit of Myanmar and Cambodia too. Right, that said, the, the current international trend, whatever happened in region two, uh, described as progressively illiberal and nationalistic, you know, has allowed the military government in Thailand to nurture its repressive rule. There is no incentive at the international, on the international state that would put pressure on the Thai government, if you know what, what I'm trying to say. Uh, so, I mean, I have to remain pessimistic looking at Thailand, foreign, uh, Thailand domestic politics and also its impact on foreign policy too. You know, uh, this, you know, uh, international environment has warranted the, the, the Kunta foreign policy, which is now concentrating on uh, building ties with countries like China, Myanmar, Cambodia, and the Philippines. Uh, too, you know, when domestic changes are moving in a similar direction as international trend, when you do not go against the trend that could go against democratic progress at home, the result is the making of foreign policy that is predominantly state-centric and self-legitimization, and that would be the benefit of the Thai Junta today. Thank you so much.